This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 46th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, I'm looking at Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 34, from Marvel Comics, cover dated October 1991. But first, a little feedback. Longtime friend of the network, Luke Giaconetti, let us know about his local comic shop's big annual sale. For as long as I can remember, they have always featured all of the dollar bins being turned into three-for-a-dollar bins. So imagine my surprise when this year there were quarter bins instead. Woo-woo-woo, you know it! Although I certainly appreciate that Luke's store has gotten on the bandwagon of 25-cent comics, I can officially declare that three-for-a-dollar does qualify as official quarter-bin books. Of the 50 or so comics I picked up, the one which I think you might be most interested in was John Sable Freelance, number one from First Comics. I did not find any other John Sable stuff, but if you have to find an issue, you can't get much better than the first one, right? Luke, you are right, right, and right. I also pulled out a copy of a book you yourself covered, Micronaut 7, featuring the Man-Thing. Well, Luke, it's never too late to send feedback on episode 24, so read that one and let us know what you thought. Because for being a cop on the edge, one more bad shooting away from losing his badge, this time forever, Luke has pretty good insights about comics. Michael Bradley of the Tangent Universe podcast, Parallel Lines, wrote in a note that the Checkmate issue from episode 42 sounded awfully familiar. Then he checked, and it is indeed one of the handful of issues of that series he picked up. I didn't realize I owned this one until after I heard the episode. It wasn't until I looked later that, sure enough, I've got a copy. If there is such a thing as having too many comics, that might count. Well, I'm not sure I buy your premise, but I guess I can't argue with that. On to episode 43, the new Avengers 26 issue, featuring Wanda slash a Doombot. Shlomo Ben-Hungstein reported that there's a lot of Wanda fan art on the web, and I forwarded that link directly on to any of our listeners I thought would appreciate that. So, Shag, enjoy. Regarding our ongoing talk about the ROM license, Shlomo's conclusions might be right on target. Sometimes I think the simple answer to all these theories is that Marvel and Hasbro have imbeciles working for them. You know, you, you can never discount that as a possibility. He also added that with those 3 to $4 cover prices on new books, I'll continue to stick to the discount in the back issue bins. Another convert! That's why I do what I do. New feedbacker Dotson also commented on this issue. I remember arguing about this issue with people at the time. This is Bendis' attempt at more mature storytelling. But I said then that the book's uncertainty, while a hallmark of short fiction, doesn't really work in monthly comics. 
That issue didn't even tell us flat out that that was Wanda, since she had two names, different hair, etc. It was later retconned that it wasn't Wanda at all, but actually a Doombot. He then made fun of Clint for not being able to tell the difference between a human woman and a robot. Shlomo also commented on the next episode, number 44, book 3, of Shadow Song of the Dragon. But mostly we went back and forth about how much we appreciate Mike Grell's work, both here and at Warlord and Green Arrow, the previously mentioned John Sable. I mentioned the terrific Warlord 50, and he said he was going to put that one right on his to-acquire list. I highly recommend that issue. Kyle Manning, host of King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, also commented on Mike Grell in the context of that issue. Sounds like another winner from one of the best in the biz. Issue number two definitely seemed to slow down a bit, but sounds like the action and pacing once again took off here at number three. I really have to track this series down. I can't wait for part four. By the way, Kyle, you won't have to wait much longer till we cover it. I think it's next episode. Thanks for all the feedback, guys. I really appreciate it. Now, let's get on to the issue for this episode. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 34, had a cover price of $1.50, meaning I acquired this book at a very satisfactory 83% discount. The cover, by Dan Lawless and Al Milgram, shows Doctor Strange facing off against a much larger, much darker, much more impressive, much better-looking figure of Doctor Doom. A ball of glowy energy is forming in Dr. Doom's hand. The bottom of the cover proclaims two words. Dark Doom. Let's talk about where this story fits into the greater Quarterbin podcast history. Our own continuity, if you will. Way back in episode 19, we looked at issue 32 of this series. If you remember, I picked it up because it had Doom on the cover. I'd also picked up this issue 34... For the same reason, I figured I'd get to it at some point. But when I realized how connected those issues were, I specifically then sought out 33 at the next quarter bin sale so I could cover all three episodes in the right order, and we covered that story in episode 31. Now, if you remember, those were the issues that had the Fear Lord story running as a backup, and that that, that story had ended in that issue. So, for this one, Doctor Doom is back on the cover, as we already pointed out, and this is the first time we've had a full-length Doctor Strange story here in a Doctor Strange comic that we're covering on the show. And we should get to that story right now. The story, titled, Is There a Doctor Not in the House?, was written by Roy and Dan Thomas, with art by Dan Lawless and Jim Sanders III, with Chris Ivey. The story starts in a windswept New York. A police officer is thinking about walking in a winter wonderland. Only thing is, it's August. A tall figure in a fur-lined overcoat carrying a six-pack catches the officer's attention. He assumes it's a member of the New York Knicks basketball team. My kid would sure like me to bring him an autograph. Say, buddy. But the big green horn monster is in fact a Rintra, one of Doctor Strange's crew. I am not your buddy. Now, if you will please excuse me, I am in a considerable hurry. 
leaving a very confused officer behind. He tromps up to the brownstone, walks right into a two-page spread. And we are told that this issue takes place between pages 5 and 34 of Infinity Gauntlet number 4. Not that any of that matters to us one bit. On the two-page spread, Clea, Doctor Strange, and Doctor Druid are performing some sort of ritual, clasping each other's shoulders and chanting in some language that has a lots of X's and Z's and Q's. Pip the Troll grabs the beer from Rintra, who is incredibly confused by the scene in front of him, which gets even stranger when a fourth person appears in the room, summoned by the chanting of the other three. For your information, Pip informs his green pal, the skirt goes by the name of the Scarlet Witch. For my thoughts on the Scarlet Witch, listen to episode 43. The short version, I've been a fan for a long time. Wanda's confused to be back on Earth. I have this weird memory of Thanos forcing my own spell against me, obliterating me, killing me. Doctor Strange explains that in the same instant your spell rebounded on you, we managed to spirit you out of harm's way. He admits that in addition to saving her, they also need her power. We know we're asking a lot, Wanda. Scarlet Witch wonders why they grabbed her instead of expert daycare provider Agatha Harkness, who actually helped develop Wanda's actual magic as opposed to her natural, or unnatural, mutant hex power. Unfortunately, Agatha is among the half of the population that has disappeared during the event. Doctor Strange explains the plan. Adam Warlock and the Silver Surfer want me to locate as many of the heroes defeated by Thanos as possible. We see shards of glass on a table, which represent all that is left of Thor, demolished by Thanos. And in this corner, Doctor Doom. But Doom is comatose, maybe worse. Wanda explains what happened to the great Latverian hero. I saw this happen. Doom fought valiantly, but he also couldn't resist trying to get the soul gems for himself. And a burst of energy from Thanos turned him into this charred, blackened statue. Strange leaves the ladies behind, assigning Wanda and Clea the job of trying to figure out how to reassemble a thunder god from a jigsaw puzzle of glass. Wanda calls it ghoulish, pouring over pieces of a fellow Avenger. The three doctors, Druid, Strange, and the statuesque Doom, head to Tibet. On the way, they note that a new Ice Age seems to be underway, and it will get worse if Thanos isn't stopped. Druid calls out Strange for not bringing Klee along, and Strange answers that Tibet is where the three of them found their destinies as magicians, which is something that Clea and Wanda don't share. And we see a bit of recap from the origins of Druid and Strange, which include stints in Tibet, although each of them visualize the Tibetan monastery differently. For a fuller discussion of Doom's origin, as told in Fantastic Four Annual 2, check out my appearance on episode 34 of the Fantasticast. They reach a cave of a little-known order of monks, who've dwelt here in secrecy and seclusion for more than 900 years. 
They move his inert form into the cave, where they can examine him more closely. They have activated the great furnaces in which the entity known as Dr. Doom was forged. Only this mystic fire can reverse the charring effect of Thanos' magic on the master of Latveria. Strange is not sure that this will work, but if it doesn't, then nothing will. But the process is interrupted by gunfire coming from outside the cave. A cadre of Chinese soldiers shot one of the monks. Thanks to a simple spell, the mystics can communicate with the soldiers. But the shield of Seraphim protects the caves, and inside, black tendrils writhe from the furnace. For while Doom's body still floats lifeless, a dark shadow self has appeared. All the feelings and urges he's ever repressed, embodied at last, and free. But the thing is, this is Doom's evil twin. But since Doom is evil, this is actually his good twin. That is why I cannot allow you to reconstitute and revivify him. For good holds sway in Doom the Shadow, and I shall do whatever I must that good shall triumph. The sorcerers recognize the paradox in front of them, one that may well decide the fate of the cosmos. So, to Shadow Doom, to Doom the Good, anyone who would protect the other Doom, Doom the Evil, must be his enemy. I will slay all who would defend his physical form. Strange and Druid manage to crawl inside a magic circle, where they try to think their way out of this mess. While Strange tries to take on Shadow Doom mano a mano, Druid taps into his mystical Celtic heritage to find a helpful spell, but to no effect. Strange calls on the four fantastic fragments of the fabled Quadriverse and the fearsome winds of Watum, but nothing is slowing down Doom the Good. But someone may be able to stop him. Is a man so quickly forgotten simply because he receives an inconsequential flesh wound in an intergalactic skirmish? And our Doom, the real Doom, is up. And this is a terrific full-page splash of the two Dooms in the foreground, huge, and the two sorcerers kneeling in the magic circle, dwarfed by the pair of Dr. Dooms. Druid is still not sure whose side they should be on, but Strange convinces him, and the three doctors take down the Shadow Doom being. And by take down, we mean put him back in his rightful body, properly reconstituting Dr. Doom. Strange explains that the Shadow Doom was not good, and the other Doom bad. That was actually part of his deception. Good and evil are so inextricably linked in Dr. Doom that they could not be totally separated. For nothing in life is ever pure good or pure evil. All is alloy. I salute you, Stephen Strange, Dr. Doom says. I did indeed lose control of myself in the heat of battle with Thanos, but it will not happen again. Strange and Druid fly off, and Druid is still not convinced that all of this will work out as Stephen hopes. Are you sure he won't revert to his old ways in the midst of a rematch with Thanos? Can any of us truly be certain what they will do, faced by terror and temptation? We can only pray for the best and strive to prepare for the worst. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues. 
It later changed its name, first to Atlas Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31st, 2014 to June 1st, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. last few pages, I was growing a bit frustrated by the story as a loyal acolyte of the rightful ruler of Latveria. The action in the story was great, and nothing beats a Doom versus Doom matchup. But the idea that this shadow being was the good part of Doom, while the sort of traditional physical body of Doom was all evil, was frustrating, because that's not how I view the Doctor. And it, it's become somewhat of a joke, as much as I exaggerate my appreciation of the Latverian founding father. But to me, Doctor Doom works when he's portrayed as an anti-hero and not a villain. This Shadow Doom character, the good that was supposedly within Doom that was never allowed expression, is just not how I see the character. I see his standard operating procedure as pursuing good, albeit his own version of good, good for his people, good for himself, good for his nation. And if he can stick it to Reed Richards along the way, that's really just a bonus. But when that view was subverted at the end, and Doctor Strange gives us the good and evil are so intermingled, I was relieved and and glad that Roy Thomas went that direction with it. In terms of this story, it is right up my alley for a number of reasons. Two of those reasons are Wanda. And Doctor Doom. And while the whole idea of gathering all the mystical-powered beings in the universe for an assault on Thanos, that overall plot, that overall concept, is custom-made for me. I've talked about how much I appreciate the DC supernatural characters, Phantom Stranger, Spectre, and Dead Man, Constantine, Zatanna. And although I'm not as well-versed in the Marvel iterations of this type of character, or, or this category of character... I just love scenes like this, the magical mystery tour of a particular comic universe. We know that Roy Thomas can get wordy sometimes in his writing, because he loves to pack in as much detail as he can into stories. And I think he wants every action to be the logical next step from a prior action. There's a nice bit with the Chinese soldiers, where they recognize that Strange and Druid must be mystics, because they're out in this burgeoning new ice age in just light robes. That's not a detail that was needed, and Roy Thomas can be accused, often, of answering questions that nobody was asking. But this moment was only a few panels long, and to me it just added a a nice sense of world-building. And I think he got Doom's sense of majesty pretty well, as well. He got Doom's... um, high sense of himself, his imperiousness, his sense of his own priorities, his own goals, that that that's what drives him. The only thing that was missing was that the doom of this issue 
use the first-person pronoun a bit too much. At one point he says, I see now that the greater good requires that I show no mercy. But personally, I think it would be more doom-like if the dialogue had been more like, Doom now sees that the greater good requires doom to show no mercy. The third-person soliloquy is to me a fundamental part of doom. And Thomas did not quite capture that as well as I like. But my no-prize explanation is that in the process of being zapped by Thanos, then thought out by these monks, this all discombobulated Doom just enough that the language centers of his brain were misaligned, so he forgot his own personal verbal preferences. But in an otherwise action-packed story, that is a very minor quibble. There's a very nice feature in the letter column of this issue, a special note, describing the publishing history of Dr. Druid. In the days before Wikipedia, a resource like this was invaluable in clearing up confusions of continuity. Here's the scoop. Dr. Druid was basically a test run for Dr. Strange, but it's not as simple as that because Dr. Strange debuted in 1963, while Dr. Druid debuted in an issue of Weird War Tales from 1976. Or did he? Not exactly. The Weird War Tales, which first featured Dr. Druid, are actually reprints of several stories from 1961, from Amazing Adventures 1 through 6, but then he was called Dr. Droom. This has led some folks, like the Overstreet Price guy, to refer to Dr. Droom as the first Marvel Age superhero. It all depends on how you figure these things naturally. Several of the Droom tales were moderately redrawn in the 1970s to give him a costume, and of course he was rechristened Dr. Druid for the reprints and to avoid confusion with a certain Latverian despot. The note continues, Since Droom's original exploits appeared before Dr. Strange's debut, it made sense for us to consider them as such, and thus to treat Anthony Druid in the Marvel Universe as the same thing Anthony Droon had been in terms of publishing, an earlier prototype of our Wizard of Bleecker Street. Not a big deal, of course, but we just wanted to set the record straight. Now, I thought that was really interesting. Now, the editor of this book was Mike Rockwitz, but that note and the underlying event of bringing Dr. Druid into the fold as an in-universe prototype for Dr. Strange certainly sounds like Roy Thomas. So this usage of Druid, and including this explanation in the letters columns, makes perfect sense for a creator with such a strong sense of continuity and character. This move just has Roy Thomas written all over it. I complained about the last issue of Doctor Strange that I covered, that it seemed like the middle chapter of a Doctor Who serial. Lots of running and some fighting, but no actual change, no advancement in the plot. But that was not a problem here. I admit that I don't have a sense for the overall story of the Infinity Gauntlet and where these characters go next in terms of that big event. But reading this issue on its own, it seemed that the things that happened mattered that plot was actually advanced. Wanda was rescued. Doom was reconstituted. These seemed to be like big deals, big stakes for the big picture. 
And in terms of the action for just this issue, there was tension and drama in the Shadow Doom stuff. Having Druid there asking questions uncertain was an effective way of demonstrating the uncertainty of this mission, the tension of this mission. In the universe of the comic, there was no guarantee that this crazy plan would work. And if it did work, if Doom was reconstituted, there was still the risk of him being a wild card. And at the end of the issue, that still exists. There's no guarantee of how Doom will act in the rest of the big story that's going on here, as he always tends to be a bit of a free agent. I think Thomas captured that aspect of Doom's character very well. The verdict on Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 34. Doctor Doom, two of them, and Scarlet Witch. And I'm almost certain that she is not currently a Doombot in the time frame of the story, though, as I've learned before, you can never tell. But Wanda, Doom, Shadow Doom, Big Stakes, Roy Thomas tying in continuity, telling a complete small story that is part of a greater whole, I really enjoyed this one. A certified quarter bin steal. That wraps up my coverage of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 34, bringing episode 46 of the Quarter Bin podcast to a close. And that also brings our adventures with Doctor Strange to a close. I don't foresee covering another issue of his title, this title or any other of his titles, for maybe quite some time. Maybe if they actually make and release that movie featuring the Sorcerer Supreme. But for now, I don't see us visiting the Brownstone again for a while. Although we have not seen the last of Doctor Doom. Not by a long shot. In episode 47, we are finishing up our coverage of the Brother vs. Brother battle over in the mysterious lands of the Orient, as we'll be looking at Shadow, Song of the Dragon, Book 4, from DC Comics, cover dated April 1992. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.